So um, I want to talk about pursuing devotion. <clears throat> I'm using uh, these like two tiny parables that Jesus taught and he gave us. A parable, I don't want to assume everyone knows what a parable is. A parable was a story. Jesus would often use little stories to illustrate spiritual truth. It was designed to help us understand a principle that he was trying to get us to pay attention to and understand. And so he would use stories that were often things that were very relatable to the audience he was speaking to. And they invite us to do a couple of things. One, to understand what was it that Jesus was trying to get at. And two, to use our imagination. There's a lot of times when Jesus gives us a little parable or a little story, he doesn't exactly say specifically what each piece means. So he's inviting us to think, to be imaginative, to engage him with sort of the story form and to be open to what he's trying to say to us. And so in this one, you can follow along, you can follow in the handout if you have your Bible, go, go with me there. You can get your Bible app, go there too, whatever works for you. Matthew 13, we're gonna look at verses 44 through 46. This is, this is Jesus talking, he says the kingdom of heaven, and we talked about this last week, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he's talking about God's reality, not only the God of the universe who reigns over all things, Jesus says, but the one who's present among you and wants to dwell with you and wants to be the king of your life. He's talking about himself. Now he has come, and he wants to give, he wants to give who he is to us, his, his reality, his truth, his way. He wants us to embrace it. He invites us to do so as the king who has come. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He says, it's like, and he uses two examples. It's like, a, uh, how can, I'm imagining Jesus talking. How would I describe this to you? The kingdom that I'm talking about, the kingdom that comes from above, the kingdom that I represent, the kingdom that I want you to enjoy, that I want you to have. It's like a treasure that's actually hidden in a field, which a man, when he finds it, he, he covers it up. Look at that 44th verse. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Another way of saying, again, what I want to say to you is this, that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is in search of fine pearls. He's a pearl merchant who, when finding one pearl of great value, a pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, that's, those are the two little tiny parables that Jesus gives, and they're sometimes viewed as twin parables. Both of them emphasize the supreme worth of what Jesus wanted to bring to people, what he said he had come to offer. Now, I was thinking about the, the treasure, first one, the little one, the, the treasure in the, hid, the, the hidden treasure in the field and invites us to use our imagination and to kind of try to think about what Jesus is getting at. Again, they would have understood it. They often saw men who were plowing in the field, sometimes working for someone else in their field to plow it through, maybe a team of oxen. The field was rough, had rocks in it, needed to be worked, needed to be cleaned up, needed to be able to get prepared for planting. So it was not uncommon for someone to be working. It was hard work. I can imagine someone in the heat of the day They've got their hands on the plow. They're pushing through the ground. And uh, what would happen sometimes is that as they were making their way through, they would hit something. It would hit like a rock. It would, all of a sudden, they'd have to stop and pull off, and, and they'd have to un, un, you know, kind of dig out the rock. And that's how the walls were built, by the way. The rocks that were in the field that was being tilled would be used then to build the walls around it. And so, you know, it was hard work. It was dusty. It was a hassle, too, because you, you wanted to get some good momentum going. Imagine this heat of the day. He's thirsty. He's dry. Uh, he's hot. He's dirty. He's been working hard. 
hit something again. This one's not budging. Oh, man, I got to, Jesus, you guys got to get down there. I got to start digging it out. He starts to dig it out. He hits it, and all of a sudden, he realizes, well, that's not a, that's not a rock. There's something else in here, a box. Now, you got to understand something. In Jesus' day, the land of Israel, which the Romans renamed Palestine, but the land of Israel was a place that had been for years, generations actually, and it's not an exaggeration to say hundreds and thousands of years now. It has been like one of the primary battlefields of the world. Uh, consistently empires were fighting in that land space. Part of the reason was because it was strategically located at the confluence of three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe all converging by the Mediterranean Sea, right there, this little piece, the Levant, this land being such valuable space, but so many wars were fought there. Um, the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, were constantly being dispossessed, constantly being invaded, constantly being overwhelmed. Anyone who lived in the region was accustomed to warfare, conquerors, you know, the Assyrians, the Medes and the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greeks with Alexander, the Romans, who at the time of Jesus were actually the ones ruling the land. They were paying taxes to Rome, hated it. But Rome had given them some degree of autonomy that was not necessarily given to every nation that was conquered, but that was in order to keep things at peace. The bottom line is what I'm getting at here is that people were accustomed to having raiders come and conquerors come and and generation upon generation understood that nothing that you possess was actually totally safe. There was no banks to put stuff into for safekeeping. You had possessions, you had coins and jewelry and precious things that were value, valuable. What did you do with them? Where did you put them? How could you secure them? A lot of times people feeling like they had no other choice would find a spot in the ground and they would bury it in a place only they or a few others would know about. They would bury that in the ground. The only thing is, if something happened, um, if they died, or if they were taken away, deported, uh, something transpired and they weren't able to communicate with anybody where, where they actually placed it, it could, it could perish with nobody even knowing where it was. So what I'm saying is, in Jesus' day, it was actually not as uncommon as we might think for someone to come across something of value that was buried in the ground, because it was the only place that some people felt like they could put it safely, and then it was forgotten. So what's happening here, Jesus says, this is man working, and he's, he's, he thinks he's got a rot, he's uncovering it, and all of a sudden, he opens it up, and he goes, and you could feel his heart, adrenaline shooting through, right? Oh my, oh my, and you can see coins and jewelry, and it's... Then as soon as he, he realizes what's happening, he probably has another feeling overcome him. Fear. Fear that someone is seeing what he's doing and what he's found, and he covers it up, Jesus says, and he makes, he makes it all look like nothing's happened, and then he starts thinking to himself, what am I going to do about this? He starts calculating his next move. And here's the deal. This is the law of the day. Whoever owns the land owns what's in it. So he thinks to himself, no matter what, I have to buy this land. I have to find a way to buy. I'll sell everything I have and borrow if I have to, but I'm going to buy this field because I know what's in it. And that's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like when you find it, right? He's, that's his first example. He goes, let me give you that other example. And he uses a different example. 
This is like a, a man who is a pearl collector. He buys and sells. It's his business. He's good at it. He knows it. Some of us, some of you, you have things that you collect or you, or part, you know your business well. And others of us might see something and go, I don't know his value. You might go, I know what his value is. It might be art. It might be memorabilia. It might be something we collect. I don't know about human beings. Why do we collect things as human beings? Where does that come from? You know, this desire. And we can display them and look at them and build our... It's an interesting uh, part of human nature. This man knows pearls, Jesus says. He buys them. He sells them. He knows when it's a good a good one, and he, he can tell the difference. But he's been searching, he's been looking, and he finally finds something, he stumbles onto it, he sees it, and he realizes, this is a pearl like none other I've ever seen. This is a pearl that I may never see again in my lifetime. I need to make a call here. I have a vast collection, I have a vast amount of resources. But in order to obtain this pearl, this pearl, this magnificent, beautiful, exquisite piece, I have to make a decision. I have to decide what it's worth to me. And Jesus says he makes the call and he says, I will sell everything I have, every part of what I own, to obtain this one pearl of great price. Jesus says, such is the kingdom. Now, I look at this first one and I go, wow, that's, that's the story. These are those two stories. The common theme is obvious, isn't it? You see it. The common theme is the joy of discovery. It's the joy of finding, finding something of supreme worth, supreme value. And yet, if you think it, about it this way, they're both the same and they're both different. Not just because one's about treasure and, and you know, jewelry and coins and things like that, hidden treasure in a field, and the other one's about a pearl. No, the difference is, do you see that there's another difference in this? It's so small, so subtle, but if you look closely, you'll see it. There, one has to do, to do with how one person finds it. The other has to do with how the other person finds it. In other words, in the, the treasure in the hidden field, it, he's not looking for it. He's just working. He's just engrossed in life. He's just doing life. And he stumbles upon something of supreme value, right? But he wasn't looking for it. The other, the other example Jesus gives us, this man's been searching. He's been looking. He keeps his eye out. He's watchful. He's been seeking. And when he finds it, he goes, now I got to make it. Now they both decide. See, so they, they part ways. I would say, you know, some of us, if we can put it this way, <laughs> just like some of us, we, we discovered God when we weren't looking for him, really. I talked to different people. We were just making our way, like the plowman. We were just making our way through life. You know, working hard, living life, and all of a sudden we got like, like Saul of Tarsus apprehended. Or, if, or maybe there's no other way to put it. Uh, we, were, we were just there, and the king walked by, and he touched our eyes. And I was blind, now I see. No other way to say it. Some, for some of us, it began with a, a simple conversation with a coworker. We weren't looking for anything, or a friend, or a family member, or somebody who was doing some type of service for us, invited us to church, and we came just to come, and maybe part of us had some stuff going on in our life, and so we said, I'll go with you, and we showed up, and all of a sudden, it's like, 
We were apprehended. For others of us, it maybe had to do with a post someone put, got our attention, or maybe something someone said at an AA group, or, or, or some, somebody left something and, and shared it with us or handed us something. We thought about it, and it triggered an interest in us. And I don't know all the different ways. If you could see it, it would be amazing. All the different connections and stories and ways in which we find the Lord, if you will, stumble into the kingdom. Find the, find, get ourselves in the, and say, I want to buy the field. <laughs> different ways. You know, sometimes that, maybe someone left something on a table. I'll do that every now and then. I just like leave a church bullet brochure on, the, on a coffee table. I'm, I'm sharing with you one of my, one of my ways, okay? <laughs> I do that. Just, you know, ways to share Jesus subtle and, and moreover sometimes. It just, to me, I never under, want to underestimate what can, he can do with a little, bit of, um, a little bit of effort extended on his behalf. Uh, so some of us, we stumbled on the treasure we weren't really looking for. It found us as much as we found the Lord. I mean, really, it, it, in our li- and our life has never been the same because of it. We stumbled in, and we found it. And it's changed everything, right? Uh, others of us, we, we found him, or I should say he found us. We were found by him after a long search like the pearl merchant. We were, we were actually searching. I've met a few of you. We've been searching. You were spiritual seekers on a spiritual journey. And it brought you back in some circuitous way to the treasure in the field. It brought you back to Jesus. And, you found, and, it, and it changed everything. You found the pearl of great price. Right? Now, they're the same in, in the sense that they both discover something. They're different in the sense that one wasn't looking and the other one was searching. But then they come back together again. So it's like they're together, they, apart, they go apart, and they come back. What is the, the coming back together? The coming back together of both stories is that regardless of whether or not it was something that was being sought or stumbled onto, in both cases, they make a decision. It's too good to pass up. They'll sell everything they have to get it. That's the common thing. Both of them will give everything to obtain it. It's devotion's pursuit. And so I want to put a couple of things up and have a sit with it and think about it, interact with this. I want to suggest that the kingdom of heaven, firstly, the way of Jesus, is both a gift and a purchase. In that sense, it's a paradox. It's something we must receive with humility and pursue with devotion. Okay, a field can have tremendous potential, but... It must be worked. A book can have tremendous knowledge in it, but it must be read. I have in my house um, just something that try, I try to remind myself. I'll look at it every now and then. And uh, it's, a, it's a Mark Twain quote. It's a poster of Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. He's sitting there. And underneath it is, a, is something he said. He said, because it's, it's something I try to remind myself of. He says, the man who does not read good books has no advantage over the one who cannot read them. The one who doesn't read good books has no advantage over the one who can read them, who can't, right? It, it's, it's like this, this amazing gift that we have, unless it's utilized, put into play, it, it's like, it's like we're really, where's the real advantage? That's what he's getting at. Now, I think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for, for what is right, righteousness, they'll be filled. 
Think about what he's implying. Both of those things, hunger and thirst, they're powerful drivers, right? They call out passionate pursuit. When we're hungry, our body starts to feel it. Man, our stomach growls. When we're thirsty, whew, man, if that, that's even more, more intense sometimes than hunger. Over time, it, we know that for a fact. But what is he, Jesus saying? He's saying essentially this, that even though this is the kingdom of Jesus is something we must receive, it is something also that we must really pursue. Um, it will not come like as a result of a kind of casual, whatever, half-hearted, eh, whatever, half-hearted way. Uh, it's it's going to come differently. Jesus says that when you understand it, you're going to have to decide something. Do you want to sell all for it? It's use his language. And that leads us to this thought, which is this. To make the kingdom purchase, loved ones, is going to cost us something. Listen to me. It's free, but it isn't cheap. It costs God everything. And it's going to cost us something too. And anyone who says differently is not being honest. Put another way, there are some things, as Jesus said, that must be relinquished if we want the field or the pearl, right? Some things must be sold off, let go of, cashed in to make the purchase. They may be things that we value, even treasure or find great pleasure in. But if it is required of us to sell it in order to obtain it, then let it be so. I'll show you a verse. It's a hardball verse, but I think we need to hear what Jesus said. He said this in Luke 9. He said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You can see both things going on here. There is, you have to, we have to decide, are we serious about following him? It's like the field comes with a cost, but it's so valuable. That's the point Jesus is making. It's so valuable. And by the way, the second part of that, that statement Jesus makes, this idea of following, it, there is a joy in following him that he invites us into. The joy of discovery, the joy of fellowship, the joy of being his disciple, um, Jesus said, my words I give to you. I think he said in John 15, he says, I want, I, want, I want your joy to, I want my joy to be in you and I want your, it's your joy to be full. I want it to overflow with life in you. So it's both, it's, it's both things, right? And I want to suggest that, that when it, I mean, and I'm not denying the idea of, of sacrifice, and, and, but I am going to suggest that when it comes to cultivating followership with the Lord, there's a couple of things we can do. And this is where I want to go. I want to talk about how to have a long-haul life with God that once we've made the decision to, to purchase the field, if you will, and to buy the pearl, that we can sustain that in a way that is life-giving and filled with joy. So let me just suggest a couple of things. One of the things I want to first put up there is this, that it's going to involve our need to stay close to Him. And you may say, well, that's stating the obvious. I'm talking about intimacy with the Lord, vulnerability. I'm talking about the time we spend with the Lord in meaningful ways. There really is no substitute. You, um, depth does not come without devotion. Uh, no relationship develops without time and honesty and vulnerability. It will never have depth to it. To have a quality life with God is going to involve us, practically speaking, carving out time to understand his words, to study his words, to love him, to talk to him. You know, I talk about the value of journaling, writing out our prayers, creating time and space to meet with God, to listen for his voice. I mean, it's, it's like to say that we can be healthy in our life with the Lord and not do that and not spend time with him. Well, we become like the ones we worship, right? 
and the ones we spend time with, they, we, we adopt their characteristics and qualities. If we spend time with the Lord and the Lord's house, with others who long to love him, follow him, that's going to affect us. But the other thing is to stay fresh. And to me, that speaks of vitality. And I, want to, I need to say this to some of us is that one of the real challenges, especially after you do this for a while, and I realize some of us are just beginning our walk with Jesus. And you might feel very excited about that. But one of the things I've noticed is that sometimes as the years go by, we, we can start to lose something. You know, there was that initial discovery that happens, right? Oh, I got the treasure in the field. Or oh, this pearl of so much value. It's so special to us. What is it about us as human beings? We take things for granted. I don't know why that is. That's a human. What is it that sometimes the best gifts, the best people in our life, we could t it's like we get accustomed to it. And all of a sudden, it's like, ah, oh, I used it through, but not that. It's not that big of a deal. Something about that. Jesus, I think the Lord is getting it. He's saying, don't ever forget what you have in me. Don't ever forget it. Try to, and, and I'm making the case that we got to be thoughtful about keeping our hearts alive with God and staying excited about him. And that's not something to just have. It's like, how do I sustain that love for him? How do I keep, you know, he, he talks about it. He talks about, you read the last book of the Bible, Revelations, the third chapter, and he's talking about people who love him, who have forgotten, who start taking it for granted, forgotten to keep that love alive in their hearts. It's become habitual and rote. And it's like something I do, I believe in, but it's not alive in me. And I think there are times where we're going to have to say, Lord, how can I keep this alive in me? Maybe it means I've got to shake some things up, shake some patterns up with you, um, get some, build some new relationships with people who love you. Maybe get into a group that I haven't been in before. Think about starting a ministry. Maybe there's something I need to shear back that I need to prune that tree a little bit so that I can create a new branch, a new shoot, something that keeps us alive. That's what I'm talking about. Got to do it. <laughs> the Lord wants us to do this, right? So, because we can get stagnant and lose what it was meant to be. Find ways to stir things up. Keep it alive. Lord, help me. This is key right on the backside of that is, I think it'll help us to do it. Just along the way, stay childlike. I'm talking about how to live in the kingdom. Be open to wonder and easy faith. I don't mean like a faith that costs us nothing, but a faith that works easily. Avoid cynicism, apathy. Choose to be a discoverer of new treasure. Don't say, oh, I know everything I need to know. Ah, <laughs> oh, there's new things in the Lord. There's new, new things he wants to open up to us. There's new things he wants to teach us about ourselves. There's new areas of our life he wants to grow. Uh, he's never, as long as we're here in this side of life, right? There's, play, there's stuff that God wants to do in our life. There's things that he wants to have, you know, emerge in new ways. Uh, I think the Lord wants us to be a discoverer of new treasure and challenge negativity, which stifles creativity. One of the main things we need to guard against is just allowing negativity and cynicism to begin to creep into our hearts, become critical and angry and resentful. God, that does not help anything at all. I, I, I came across a writing of something that was said by a, a writer that I greatly admire and that kind of weds these two concepts. And he said, this is E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones uh, was a great missionary. Uh, 
to India, actually, especially, but also China. And he, he was a, also a friend of Gandhi and, and, and had often talked to him about Jesus. And they had a lot of wonderful interactions together. E. Stanley Jones also made it on the cover of Time magazine. A lot of people didn't, don't know that now. They don't even know who he is. But he was actually a very significant person uh, in the 1900s who had made a huge difference for Jesus all over the world. And he wrote this, and I asked them if they can put it up for us. He says, look, if we are not positively creating and producing the machinery of life, we'll get out of gear. For we were geared to creation. See, we were made for new things. Like, we work best when we're creating something. And so that, that means we have to be intent. Now, look how he balances that out by saying this. He's talking about alignment in our life and staying open, staying creative, and not getting closed down. And he says one of the things that closes us down is negativism. He says, therefore, not only it keeps us from achieving, but he says something else happens. Not only does it stifle creativity in our life when we allow ourselves to become negative people, but he says the personality breaks down under negative attitudes, right? It actually starts, the gears actually start to, we we don't work well this way. It's not how God made us. I'll put it a different way. Emerson said this, I know I got a lot of quotes, but he said this, most of the shadows of life are caused by us standing in our own sunshine. We sometimes are our own, our own. We're the ones. It's like, uh, it's like I, a lot of times, I'm my own enemy. I'm my, I'm my own critic, right? And that really does, that does lead me right into this last one. And it's going to sound like, what are you talking about? But I'm going to suggest that you heard me say it before. Stay gentle, okay? Stay gentle. I'm talking about be gentle on yourself, especially when you're struggling, um, a lot of times we just tighten everything up and we start to feel like a failure. We start to talk like we're a failure. We start to, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of struggling. It's okay to struggle. In fact, I think that if we're not struggling with something, then we're actually not really probably, so, okay, for those of you who never struggle, uh, you are, you, you're the cut above everybody else, right? But for those like me, uh, you know, I have areas where I do struggle at times with my, with my walk with God, uh, uh, things that I might fall back into or words that I said I should have said differently and attitudes that I'm allowed, letting creep in. For some of us, it might have to do with all kinds of stuff. We might struggle with certain addictions or certain things of our past or, you know, certain attitudes that we have or anger or resentment that we hold onto that sort of defines us, we're sort of letting simmer inside of us, might have to do with things related to our purity or stuff that we actually don't even really want to have happening in our lives. We feel bound up by it. We're struggling. I had someone come to me and say, you know what? I feel like I'm not really worthy. I feel like I'm just constantly battling. And and I said, you know, I said, to me, struggling is a sign. Okay, I, I need you to hear me when I say it. I'm not saying... I, I want us to have problems and, and not be able to do our best for the Lord. But to me, the fact that you're struggling here is a sign of what, of what you actually care about. Because if you didn't care for, for the things of God, it wouldn't even matter to you. It matters because you care. And so I need you to quit beating yourself up. It, you know, maybe for right now, be gentle on yourself. But the Lord wants me. I know, I know. But he also loves you. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, weighed down. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want to give you rest. 
He said that. He said, I want my joy to be in your life. I want it to overflow in your life. Maybe there's a time to, to contend for things and to be fierce in what we're confronting. There's also a time to go, I'm so weak right now, and I feel so discouraged right now, and I feel so vulnerable right now. Lord, I just need to trust you. And I need to remind everyone about a verse that means so much to me. I talked about this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, when the Apostle Paul's talking about what he sees as a clear weakness in his life in verses 7 through 10, and when he says this in the ninth verse, I love the way it's rendered, where the Lord says to him, basically, my strength works best in weakness. My grace is all you need, because my, I love that phrase, my power works best in weakness. How good is that? What are we saying? We're saying that in our weakest places, sometimes is where God shows up the most amazing way. I love it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. My power works best in weakness. In fact, I need to do this. Turn to a person to your left and your right and say, if you can, don't forget 2 Corinthians 12, 7. No, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Come on. Just do it. Come on. Why not? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. <laughs> Ma, yeah, his strength works best in weakness. Amen. Keller said this. I love this little quote. It's fantastic. The deeper the darkness, ha, oh, isn't this good? The more beautiful the stars. I love that. When I first saw it, I said, oh, that's Helen Keller. Right? In my mind, I'm thinking, that has to be Helen Keller. It's always. But it, it was actually a different Keller. It was Tim Keller. But... You know, the deeper the darkness, ah, the more beautiful the stars. You know what that's telling me? I get to choose. Am I going to focus on the darkness? Or am I going to focus on the star? Lord, help me to focus on the stars. The darker it is to see what you can do. My strength works best in weakness. Not that I want to be weak, but I'm not going to be afraid of it either. I need to be okay welcoming in struggle. And so anyone who wants to follow the Lord needs to do this because it, it's a place of dependency. We begin to realize how much we're loved, what he can do in our weakest zones, how beautiful, how wonderful, how precious his kingdom is. What he means when he says, I tell you, what I have to give you is like, it's like a man who, find, who stumbles on to treasure in the field. And when he realizes what he's found, he sells it all to have it. I tell you, what I have to give you is like, a, is like a pearl merchant who, when he finds the pearl that he'll never see again, anything like it, he sells everything he has to have it. That's what I'm talking about. He's worth it. He's the best, better than the rest. Jesus, leave it here. I'll leave it with this one, right? Once you have him, never let him go. Let him always be our greatest treasure. For he's the only one that we can truly, truly carry with us. Listen, no one, nothing else, no person, no gift, no possession can ever be carried over to the other side. Nothing is going. No person, no possession, nothing. Jesus said, this, this life, 
says, don't ever forget what makes a person truly, truly wealthy. Don't forget what true success is. Jesus was kept, kept reminding. He says, don't, don't get stuck in the pursuits of what the culture tells you. Don't ever assume that greatness is what it seems. Don't ever assume that having everything you need and everything you want will actually be what's most important. Never think that way. Don't ever forget what is most important. Don't ever forget what is the pearl of great price. Don't ever forget. He kept reminding us. He's saying, just remember, what you take with you, there's only one thing you take with you. It's what you have with me. Now, that's what he taught us, right? These other things come, they, as beautiful as they are, they will be left behind. <sighs> that's why when I hear the words of Jim Elliot, which I absolutely love, the man who gave his life to bring Jesus to others, he said this, this man, you, some of you know it, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. Everybody's going to invest in something. Jesus says, invest in the best. For some of us, this is the time. This is the time. This is the year. This is the time to buy the field. This is the time to make the purchase for the pearl. For some of us, we can feel him in our heart. He's calling the one who's passing by is passing by to remind us, follow me. He's calling. This is, might be the time. This is the year. May it be so. Some of us say, this is the time to get back. This is the time to get back. This is the time to do it. This is the time to respond to the Lord. For others of us, it's the time to refresh things. Remember how beautiful it is to, to be one who owns such a thing as this. Never underestimate its value, ever. Oh, God, don't let me get caught up in vain pursuits and forget what matters most. His... If you have him, this is what he said, you have the best. Other things come and they will go. Enjoy them. But if you have me, you have a treasure no one can ever take from you. Carry you through this life into the next. Let's pray. Have our time of giving after that and our closing song. But Lord, I just uh, thank you for this word. I, I thank you for your words. I pray that you would keep working in our lives. And I ask that you would remind us, don't let people like me forget what a beautiful gift you are. What a wonderful thing it is. Remind me, you're the pearl of great price. For those of us, wherever we are, remember what we're being exposed to. Remember the opportunity. It's the deal of a lifetime. Better than anything. Just ask for you to bless these closing minutes. Maybe as we're hearing this song, some of us will feel like in our heart, there's some things we're supposed to lay down. And there's some things we're supposed to move into. Just pray for that, Lord. Keep working. Pearl of greatest price. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. <laughs>